Hello, welcome back to Country Roads Confidential here at earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Today is December 11th, significant because in a Wednesday not too far away, one of the most wonderful days of the year, not Christmas. Recruiting season kicks off with the start of the early signing period, presence for fans and coaches alike with the um, still kind of new December period, which has now made the February period no longer cool. It's changed the landscape. It's um, kind of added life to the postseason and almost made the postseason completely non-existent now. There's no bridge anymore between the end of the season and that that weird period between your final game in February because it's active and you're signing players and coaching changes. Shake the trees, all new players fall out. It's kind of um, kind of made recruiting a prolonged business, which is all still very new to me, even though I've been here for going on three years. But I can't talk intelligently about this by myself. But I have a man who can help me. My tag team partner, Chris Anderson. Chris, how are you? I'm doing just fine. When are we going to bring in the intelligent person? And how will he help us? <laughs> yeah, we're over for 2, I guess, right? This one. All right. Yeah. I tried to tee you up, but okay, that's fine. Uh, we uh, tend to disagree on who's smarter when it comes to stuff like this. But I guess, okay, we're uh, over for 2. Um, Basketball we can cover. I feel let down because we pivoted to basketball last week and they promptly went out and lost a game. So, I don't know. That's like the alley-oop to Sheboy that it was there to get dunked and they just blew it and couldn't get it. And now the ball's just rattling around for a while because two eh, home games that they should put in the bag. And then you got a, a game against Youngstown State, which I think will be tricky for a couple of reasons. And then pretty much you're in wait-and-see mode and they're just going to kind of be a rock tumbler for a couple of weeks until they go up to Cleveland to play Ohio State. If it's okay with you, we'll get to basketball, but we'll do that in the latter half. Is that all right? Yeah, that sounds good to me because I'm I'm with you, and I loved the Oscar not dunking analogy because that <laughs> drove me nuts in that game in Madison Square Garden, and apparently Bob Huggins too because I think that was a big reason that he uh, got put on the bench pretty early in the game. Not only that, he said that was kind of when the game swung too because they could have opened up to – I think it might have been a seven-point lead, and it goes back, and instead of a seven-point lead, it's a two-point lead because they get an and one and the game is on there. And it's funny how coaches can pick out singular moments from games and – but also can't remember sequences of events, too, when a reporter asks them a sharp question, too. It always amazes me, the selective memory, but I do agree with them there, too. Anyways, uh, we'll, we'll go to that end of the court um, in the latter half here. But we are heating up. The first day of the December signing period is a week from today. And a lot of uh, hustle right now. I don't know what the word is. Scrambling or double-checking or scratching or reaching. And maybe you can fill this in better for me. But... It does seem like good news, more than bad news or unexpected news, but um, and perhaps more on the way that we don't yet know about. But um, set the table here. Um, big weekend coming up and a big stretch for West Virginia and their recruiting efforts. Yeah, the final two, I guess, postseason weekends were right in the middle of them. Last week was the first one. There were <clears throat> at least seven official visitors on campus. Uh, coaching staff picked up one commit. We saw the let's go tweet. Uh, that commitment has not gone public. It might go public later today. Um, and then this weekend, there are a handful of other visitors coming in. A couple of JUCO guys that, that I'd keep an eye on. Um, a couple of high schoolers that are uncommitted. Several guys who are already committed. And even a transfer. I guess we'll start there. Mm. Uh, Chris Blake. Uh, Blake. 
I'm still unsure of how to pronounce his name, B-L-E-I-C-H, for those who want to Google. Uh, transfer from Florida, offensive tackle, grad transfer guy eligible immediately who would enroll in January. He's taken other visits, so it's not a sure thing by any means. Uh, Pittsburgh, Syracuse, Maryland, a couple other schools are in the picture. But he's – guess who has two uh, senior starting tackles that are going to be gone and have a wide-open spot for – a grad transfer tackle. So it makes a ton of sense for West Virginia to be going after him. It makes a ton of sense for a grad transfer to be interested in West Virginia. So uh, the marriage of the two makes sense, but we'll see if uh, you know they can kind of close the deal this weekend. I think that's the biggest thing for me that I'm going to be watching, even though there, there are going to be some other big names on campus. Where do you stand on postgraduate transfers or junior college transfers on the offensive line in year one, because that's such a position that requires repetition and familiarity with, you know, your teammates, your running backs, your quarterbacks, cadence, the guys next to you that you can, you may have, you know, 45 starts to your career, um, but none on the campus you're about to get to. You may have a lot of experience in college football and practice and all the stuff that you need to, to know and experience to be good, but it's at some other school I always wonder what's the risk reward there. I'm with you. I, heck, I think we saw it this year with John Hughes, who was a junior college transfer, but a late, late out guy or early out guy, I guess, technically, since he was supposed to still be in junior college this season, but didn't get to campus until May. And I think most everyone agreed that he was talented enough to play at this level and was ready, but things just didn't gel when he kind of got thrown out there. And so I think he then had to take a step back to a backup role and will work his way back up, I imagine. But um, it's got to be a problem for me. I don't want to say I'd completely rule out the idea of a transfer on the offensive line that you're expecting to start and bring him in in the summer, but certainly having the spring helps and, and Blake would get there in January, go through all the spring to be able to try to get those reps with that first team uh, or second team, however he's going to fit in on the team and, and figure out where he would work and if he can kind of gel with the rest of the unit. See, I kicked that one. It was rolling out of bounds, and, and you jumped on the loose ball and, <laughs> and made it work. That's a good point, Tim. I mean, if you get him in here, forget spring, too. I mean, the, the winter workouts, and that's a lot of time where you get to know guys. You can watch film and get terminology and all that. That certainly helps, too. Um, you saw the crystal ball news from our colleague, Brian Doan. Um, three names in for West Virginia. He's about a 90% success rate on his crystal ball, so this is heating up a little bit. But um, tell us a little bit about what to expect and how you think this may turn out for West Virginia. Yeah, so I actually spoke with Brian earlier on Tuesday, um, and, and we talked about these picks. He was asking me some questions. I checked with my guys. He checked with his guys because – Obviously, Brian's got connections all over the place, and I think he was getting information from various places, and I checked in Morgantown, and it all kind of jives. It, it all goes together. And I think Tariq Stewart, uh, I believe I'll have to double-check it here as we're talking. I, I believe I already put in a crystal ball for him, so that one was not surprising. Junior college, offensive tackle. For me, originally, when he was first being recruited, I assumed he might be a backup plan because – that he was a May guy, that just like we were talking about, a late uh, a spring graduate arriving in the summer. So I assumed that the staff might be asking him to hold on. And his early comments backed that up when he told me that 
he was his the staff had asked him not to take visits until January because they needed to see where things stood with uh, once they got done with the first signing day. And then last week he told me that the coaching staff reached out, asked him to come in early and maybe even sign early. So we'll see where that goes from there. I, I like West Virginia's chances, assuming they'll take him at this time. And Jordan White, the offensive lineman from DeMatha High School, um, former Maryland commit. Uh, he's the young man who uh, decommitted from the Terrapins when they were down 50 to Ohio State or whatever it is in the second quarter. Right. Uh, went right on social media and decommitted. And the coaching staff reached out right away. And he is going to come up for a visit. He's looking at Syracuse. He's looking at West Virginia and, and a couple other schools. So I, I think when you have these kind of situations, these kind of quick turnarounds where a guy decommits from somewhere and, and then locks in on a visit like Jordan White is with West Virginia just three days before signing day, you have to think there, there there's a good reason for that. And, you know, I think the only thing for me is, how many spots are there on the offensive line right now? Cause I was looking at it as one, maybe two. And now all of a sudden there's three offensive linemen who at any given time could be takes in Stuart white and the aforementioned grad transfer from Florida. So th- this is the part, that's the part that's new for me. You know, I've been doing this for a decade, but I, my time has basically lined up from the start of the Dana Holgerson era. And throughout that entire tenure, it, when you got to these visits in December and January, they really only brought in their top targets. The only the guys they would take right right then, right there, without question, and they would visit like their option A guys. And if they didn't commit on the spot or tell them they were going to, then the following weekend they would bring in option B or option C or what what have you. This time around, there's only a handful of spots yet they're bringing in option A, B, and C all at the same time and going to figure it out when it gets there, which, like I said, is new to me. I'm interested to see where it goes. I I have a general idea of a, a pecking order. I've, I've spoken with people about what it might be, but I could see there is a situation. It has not been ruled out that all three of these guys could end up at West Virginia. Oh, a lot to pin there, um, and I want to come back to some stuff too. But um, the one guy I want to talk about is Akeem Mesador. Yeah, because I think that they they're close to having a very good defensive line next season, but they're also close to losing a number of guys following next season too. Um, Stills, Pooler, perhaps both Stills. Um, I mean, maybe just a complete turnover. So I understand getting young is good too. So Mesador would be good. Um, obviously, John May is good. Quay Mays is a junior college player. So you have some young and old in there too. But it seems to me like if they can find an old guy there, a postgraduate guy, or maybe a bounce back junior college guy, um, which the competition is tough for, I guess. Um, is there a prospect there to add there? Is there room? Is there a player? And am I mistaken that that is a plug and play situation? I feel like. Yaya Diaby was the guy that they liked there, uh, junior college, first team All-American. But unfortunately, it doesn't look like that's going to work out. I think they made their run at him, but it wasn't something that's going to happen. He he ended up visiting other programs, and last I checked with him, he had canceled his visit to West Virginia and was not rescheduling. I think he was the top target. Mm-hmm. Um, there is Justin Jackson from Northwest Mississippi, 
uh, which West Virginia fans should be very familiar with over the years. He's currently committed to Colorado, was supposed to come in last weekend, but his mother was sick and they kind of, you know, a mutual agreement between Jackson and the staff to let's wait till next weekend because one, obviously go take care of your mother, uh, help her out. And two, the staff wants the mom there too. Everybody wants mom's seal of approval. Everyone knows that's the, that's the key. Mm -hmm. And if Jackson's coming in for a visit and mom's not with him, it kind of defeats the purpose. So he'll be coming in this weekend. He's someone I would also keep an eye on. Um, but Mesidor, the way his body is, he might be a guy, even though he's – because Jackson's a junior college guy, as I mentioned. Mesidor is, is high school. But he's also a little older. He is 19, I believe, already. Um, and it, it, this is kind of like a prep year almost for him. So he, physically, he's a little more advanced than your typical high school senior. And, and skill-wise, he can still – you know, he's still got a lot of upside. So it, that is a huge – pickup if it happens and i think they made him a priority all the way back in the summer uh they got him in in june they were hoping to get his commitment because they thought he was going to blow up with 20 30 offers he did and somehow this this might be if, if he commits from my perspective sorry to go off on a tangent here but that is one of the great pickups in this class because that is so hard to do to have a guy visit and then have him sign six months later without him ever visiting again. Wow. Because, yeah. you know, he's, going, he's gone to UCLA, uh, which obviously has its perks, Syracuse, which is close to his home in Canada, uh, and, and other visits, and he's still coming back to saying, I want to go to West Virginia, if, if that happens. Uh, again, we're assuming here uh, a big, solid crystal ball from Brian Doan, and I'm hearing equally positive things. So that would be probably the biggest – Biggest coup from this class. I am going to keep my postgraduate player in idea in mind because Mesador, who knows, right? Maybe, maybe, good news. Um, mm -hmm. But the junior college guys don't know, competitive for their services, I'm sure. Um, it's hard to get those guys because the good ones don't like to stay down south or end up in the elite programs because they're that important. Um, obviously, getting the quarterback in the ground is, is an important thing. But, man, you, you find good players in that defensive line crop that, that pop up you know, after graduation, after spring football. And I just feel like if they can add even like a Reuben Jones again, that would be a great thing for uh, just to continue the development. They're not a guy who's going to come in. I don't think you want to find a starter necessarily, but if you can add depth and keep that rotation robust, um, you know, with nine guys, eight guys, they really could have something there to build their defense around. No, I'm with you because I think I was – well. all our listeners, depending on when you hear this, will be reading later today, Wednesday – is I did a kind of a breakdown of where West Virginia sits with scholarships. And I remember thinking when, when they kept offering and going after defensive ends and defensive linemen in this class that, Hey, I, I think they're okay. They're going a little overkill, aren't they? But they're really not. Like you said, there's some top end talent guys that they, we know, and we know are good. Mm -hmm. right? Stills, Pooler, Alston, the other stills, but it's conceivable that all four of those guys might be gone. I mean, that's a redshirt senior, senior, redshirt junior, junior. And who's to say at least three of those, maybe four of them are gone after next year. And then what are you with? And after that, you got the only one on the, on the roster with experience is Jordan Jefferson. Right. So it gets pretty thin after that. It, it, so you really need to add a couple more guys to this class and build up some depth. 
circle back to your conversation about the offensive lineman and how much room mm-hmm. is there for how many players. Um, this is a volatile time of the year, um, and this is going to anger people because we just can't give too many details. But we're in transfer season. The semester at West Virginia ends next week. So, you know, kids are going through their final week of class. Um, finals are next week. And it's move out time, too, where, you know, kids are not going to come back and go to spring football because they've had enough here. Um, You'll find people who go through spring football and say, no thanks after that. But a lot of them want to get in to be in spring football at their new school. And the sooner you're in the portal, the sooner you're out and the sooner you sign paperwork to go somewhere else, too. Um, So I sent you a list yesterday of, um, let's say, a sourced list of names. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah. And some pretty recognizable names that we hear to keep an eye on. And again, this is going to make people mad. I understand that. But what I'm coming, the angle I'm coming from here is that it covers a lot of areas of the team, offensive line, running back, receiver, quarterback, stuff like that, where they might need replacements. And you're talking offensive line and how many players there are. And you saw the list of players. <laughs> um, the need could expand there. Yeah, it matches how, up. Yeah, how how crazy is this time of year when you don't know who's going to join your class because you also don't know who you're going to invite to your class because you don't know who's going to stick around from your current roster. Yeah. I think that's why this, this move by this, this staff where they're bringing in options, A, B and C and, and every, everybody, their backups to their backups. And they don't get me wrong. I, I am under the impression that they would feel comfortable taking any of these recruits commitments at this time the problem is it's just a numbers game you don't have it you can't take them all if they could take 35 kids i bet they'd take every single kid that's visiting last week in this one um they're they have the talent to play at west virginia it's just a matter of hey we can't take five offensive linemen because we need a fourth defensive lineman or a linebacker or whatever um so i think this is the good strategy is to get these guys on campus and figure it out because you're going to need with this, as you mentioned, with this semester coming to an end at about the same time as this official visit weekend and as about the same time as signing day, you're going to need almost every single day to make these choices of how much space you got and what positions you need because of this transfer portal situation. Headline on our website, constant decommits, <laughs> which is bad news that players are constantly decommitting. <laughs> um, I don't think we want to get into that, but this actually meant one player whose last name is Constant, running back from New York. He decommits. Not sure how much of a surprise it is. In fact, it sounds like the fact that he committed might have been more of a surprise than he decommitted. But that was a guy that they really liked back in the fall and were extremely confident, along with Sean May, by the way, that they were going to get. And they did. Um, and things changed, of course, and let's not get into that. But there was a need for a running back. There isn't a running back in the class. Um you have Letty Brown, you have Tony Mathis, Alex Singfield played receiver at the end of the season. That may be permanent. Uh, Martel Petaway could be back, but could be done here. Who knows? We've reported on that for a long time now, but is there room, is there need for a running back, and, and where do they go from here? 
Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. I feel like you have to get at least one, right? For all the reasons you just mentioned, that is like a... One is an absolute minimum for me at this point. Like if if Singfield has moved uh, permanently, that's you're down to what, what would you just say Brown and and Mathis, and that is it. Perhaps away, and perhaps fed away. But I'm not counting on that. I don't know if you are, but if Constance out, which he is at this point, what are you left with? And, and right now the board's not very long. Um, Tim Baldwin was a guy that West Virginia got in on very early phased out, you know, on the previous staff, both went their opposite ways. Baldwin ended up committing to Michigan. Then a lot of his offers disappeared. He decommitted from Michigan and, and then put West Virginia in his top three recently. But I hadn't heard anything about his contact with the staff other than a quick unofficial visit last month. Uh, and then he commits to Indiana this week. So, We'll see if he actually makes a visit or not. He was scheduled to come this weekend. Uh, at the last check, he said he was not. But you never know this time of year. Uh, I would say with Damian Webb, junior college running back, yeah. is a guy to keep an eye on, second-team All-American. Uh, staff went down there and visited him last week, offered him former Ole Miss commit. Um, so he is definitely someone to know. Right now, no word on a visit. I- I'm still – thinking it's a possibility, maybe even a likelihood that he kind of sneaks onto campus this weekend, but he has not confirmed that at this time. So, but once you get after that, JJ Davis down in Bluefield, but he's, he's uh, from the way he's talked, you know, he told me personally that most schools are just kind of asking to see his transcripts at this point. Uh, I have to think that maybe that means some, some academic concerns that he might not be eligible. Kenny Tracy from out in Indiana, uh, another guy that went from claiming a lot of Big Ten offers to mostly looking at Max schools and, and saying West Virginia's in his top group, but no plans to visit West Virginia. So that you know raises a couple alarm bells as well. So it, it's it, I, I think for me in this class, running back's my biggest concern right now, which uh, if you would have told me that a few months ago, I thought you were crazy. Uh, but right now there doesn't seem to be a clear answer for that position. 
Oh boy. Uh, yeah, you're right. And again, that's, that's how fluid and how volatile the situation is too. And again, I mean, just two 19, 20, 20 year old kids who make up their mind for, to go and do something different that could totally change six months, eight months worth of work. And then all of a sudden you're, you're really scrambling at the finish line here. Uh, real quick. Um, one more on recruiting here. Um, the weekend, it's like bailed in mystery. What happens? Where they eat? What do they do? Um, they have a basketball game. They typically show up for like half of it and they go somewhere else. So there's activities, but I, uh, I sent you a picture last week of the way they had everything staged, kind of made it like a red carpet event. Actually, I guess like a golden blue carpet event with, you know, the velvet ropes and the balloons. So when you walk in, you feel like you're important. Um, and they really do try to make you feel important here. Um, but as best as you know from talking to players, what do they do? What does it look like? What matters that West Virginia is doing well that does impress these kids? Mike, first off, did you get approval for those pictures? And did you make <laughs> sure before you sent them to me that was okay? I'll have to lock my social media. <laughs> um, uh, so when they first get there, sorry, you lost me there for a second. Um, when they first get there, Sneak that in you, there under the radar. <laughs> I know. They, 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 they're greeted by just about everybody. Um, they, and they get a tour. They meet their host. They get the facilities that first night, Friday night. And this is for official visits. It varies from week to week depending on what's going on. Obviously, last week there was no home basketball game. This week there is. Friday night, out with the guys, having fun, checking things out. They stay at a hotel there in town. I will not tell you guys which one because – there are some of you I cannot trust um, with that information. And then Saturday morning, they get up, lots of tours, facility, uh, academics, meeting with advisors, anybody they need to talk to. And then Saturday afternoon, they get to the game. And they will, as you mentioned, they'll be there for the first half of the game is typically how it goes. And then around halftime, they'll head out and begin the rest of their uh, visit weekend, which I know a lot of people have always asked, oh, I bet – so-and-so enjoyed that last-minute win. What was that? Kansas, I think, last year or, the, or a couple years back in, in the final seconds. And I said, not a single one of those recruits saw that. <laughs> not a single one because they all left at halftime. They always do. Um, and after that, for the official visit weekends, what's changed is this year they kind of host everything at the stadium. They have a big cookout, uh, photo shoot. They, uh, I know for the early – for the early official visits. Now, I don't know if it's, they're going to deem it too cold now uh, to do this, but for the early official visits back in the summer, they set out tables all the way across the football field, right around the 50-yard line, had food everywhere, all the coaches, staffers, visitors, family members, all there, all eating, all listening to music, all having a good time, just a big kind of family reunion party type atmosphere. And I think that really clicked with a lot of those guys back in the summer. That's why a lot of those guys ended up committing. Uh, and, and they're still at the stadium on Saturday night. They're still doing dinner over there. I'm not sure that they're doing it out on the field uh, just because of the temperature this time of year. But then they finish that up Saturday night, go out again with their, their hosts, uh, the players. And then Sunday morning, it's kind of an exit interview. I think this is when you see a lot of, either full-on commitments or kind of, hey, I'm going to go home and talk with my family because the recruits come in and they sit down with Neil Brown and they sit down with their position coach or, or coordinator and they talk about things. They talk about the weekend. They talk about their recruitment. They talk about what's next. And 
they stagger it out. It, it's really a lot of work. Uh, you know, all these guys that, that that put in this work to plan it all out because they stagger their departure time so that Neil Brown and the assistant coaches can each get individual time with these kids before they leave. So you'll see kids start leaving at 9, 10 a.m., and then the next one will leave at 11, next one at 11.45, 12.30, so that each one gets their time with Brown, and then they head on home and, and talk things over with their family. So it's kind of a jam-packed 48 hours. Uh, that is the limit per the NCAA. Uh, very rarely does it get to the full 48 hours just because – you know, you got to make a flight. So very rarely is that flight going to be around 48 hours, but um, it, it, it's a busy weekend and the kids are usually worn out and then they got a lot to think about afterwards. You think and, and, hey, and then they get 15 phone calls from me and yeah. 10 <laughs> other reporters too. So, well, here's, here's, what we don't know about them because uh, last week, this is kind of funny for me from, from a thousand miles above here, but like, I believe it was Blake Seiler had a let's go tweet which is typically like the bad signal for a kid is committed and nothing happened. And people are wondering, like, is it the Darius Stills news? Is it the fact they have a really good weekend? Um, a preferred walk-on long snapper did commit, but are we doing that for, like, I don't know. So that was weird too, but I also feel like there's no accidents and there's nothing that is not coordinated when it comes to their social media and their recruiting too, which makes me think that, like, they might, have some grand plan for rolling commitments for people who do, or they might say, no, save it till the 18th, keep it quiet. Do you have any feel for how they will handle or coordinate good news? I don't. Uh, and that is something that schools do. I'm not sure how they'll handle it. Uh, a lot of times I, I get the impression from this staff that they, they are a player's kind of coaching staff and, and a recruits kind of coaching staff. Like they don't want to try to influence um, the players or the recruits at all about when to make their decisions. But that is something that schools and coaches do. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a very good thing if the, if the recruit feels comfortable with it. And, and I, what you're talking about with like the rolling commitments and you'll see them do it is convince visitors. It's like, Hey, if you guys are going to commit, let's have all of you commit tomorrow. You know, and we'll just do it one after another, after another, after another. And we will be the talk. You know, West Virginia football right. will be the talk of college football. Five commits in one day. Who's red hot right now? Um, it's a real thing. It is something that colleges do. It is uh, very rarely is it, I don't want to say authentic. Like it's not natural. It's kind of orchestrated. But they're not forcing these kids into those decisions. Just kind of trying to shape when they announce it. Can't wait. Never thought I'd be so excited to see what kids are doing on Twitter and Instagram. But like, I feel like there's like a synchronization there. That's going to be fun to watch and uh, hadn't really gone down this road with this crew yet. So I don't know. So it's a, it's a weird little pleasure. I guess I'm kind of uh, oddly looking forward to, I don't know, maybe I should get used to this, but um, Hey, let's, let's uh, shift to basketball really quickly here. Um, no longer undefeated, no longer number one in the RPI. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot to be discouraged about apart from the fact that they just didn't win the game. But played pretty poorly, um, lost by two, had a chance, blew up a final possession, did so many things wrong that if they had done just – if they had done a lot wrong as to as opposed to a whole lot wrong, they still win the game. Um, but Huggins kind of saw it coming. Bad practices, bad habits. They got to a little bit too up. Um, I don't want to say it's, it's good for them, but I think there's some look-in-the-mirror stuff, and there were some players who were saying, we're, you know, now we realize what they were saying. We're not as good as we think we are. 
Um, and again, two winnable games, maybe three winnable games. They can get back on track, but um, I sense no panic, right? No, I don't think so. I think, uh, like you mentioned, so much of that I feel like was self-inflicted. Um, I, I looked at it, looked it up at that time. How often, or when was the last time that the team had committed twenty some turnovers, twenty turnovers, and shot less than fifty percent from the free throw line? Because that, as hard as that is to believe, that's exactly what happened. It's been twenty years, twenty years since that has happened, and that's what they did on Saturday, along with several other mistakes. Um, and then, you know, the, the questionable call at the end and then to only lose by two on the road in a hostile environment. I'm not I, let's not get too homerific here and say I'm encouraged. This is great. It shows how good they really are, that they can screw up that much and only lose by two in that situation. But it's not something that to kind of worry about as far as the year goes on. It does raise some eyebrows about the uh, protecting the ball. Ball security, uh, some of those decisions were just horrible, which you kind of want to watch to make sure it doesn't become a trend, uh, in, especially in these games coming up that, like you said, should be should be wins. But are they still going to make some of these these kind of dumb mistakes, these, these bad passes? And also some of the free throw shooting. Uh, you know, A lot was made about how Derek Culver can all of a sudden shoot free throws when he did not do so well last year. Sometimes, you know, you regress towards the mean, and that's what happened on Saturday with him and a few others as well. So it, we need to figure out where they are on that, who you can trust with the free throws. But big picture, no, it's not that discouraging. I think I said this before on here, but I've heard from people that he's he's not a good free throw shooter. <laughs> like this 80, <laughs> yeah. this 80% thing was like an aberration and like, hey, don't knock it. Let's, let's see how long it goes. And you kind of wondered like, when are we going to gravitate back to, to the norm here? And maybe that was it too. But I, I feel weird saying no panic, but we're, we're coming off a 21 loss season where everything went bad on the floor and off the floor. And um, all the talk has been about how that can't, won't happen again. And I think there's an awful strong buy in there. So, but I think people are reactionary to when they see so many things they saw coming about this team, that maybe those hunches were fed by what they witnessed last year that the first sign of trouble this year, you, you think, oh, boy, here we go again. Or, oh, man, this may this may go bad. And that's why I think the schedule is really friendly to them because they can they can get good feelings again on stuff. But just kind of revisiting the games, you know, some things have have lasted a little bit. Um, I just keep coming back to the one thing I hugged and said, and as soon as he said it, like, we kind of looked around the room like, oh, that won't come back to bite him, right? But the we have so many shooters that they can't possibly all be bad at once. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> It's kind of happened. Like as soon as he said that, you're like, "Oh no!" <laughs> um, but you just see certain things, and like you're, you're shooting about forty percent from the year, and you're low thirties from three, and you're playing four guards and trying to find one that works from the perimeter. It, it's hard to do, um, and that's been again. I don't want to say a concern or issue because you're seven to one, but that's been a thing just to track for the first seven games. Is that you know how do they work out the backcourt because you know there's there's a lot of players there and there's not a lot of minutes. And that's a position where, you know, McNeil can't make threes from the bench and he can't make a lot of threes if he's not getting a lot of playing time, but you also can't play, you know, 12 people if you're going to lean on one guy for a lot of minutes too. It just feels like to me, they got to find their, their third guard first and then figure out what to do the other three guys. And that might be a competition all the time, but 
it's just it's just a strange dynamic that I think you can understand why they're seven and one. It's not bad. They're good. They've weathered some close games and some competitive back and forth. And they lost one. That's fine. But I think you kind of seen some common traits in all those close calls too. So are you have you made any I come back around on your eighth man and your eight man rotation and, and you're gonna go with McNeil like like me, like your smart counterpart? I think he made the move. For sure. There we go. You know, Harler missed some shots that he's got to make, and McNeil had the same shots and more difficult shots and did it. Uh, I'm not a fan of McNeil's defense yet. I think he's got the ability to get there. I think Harler's a pretty good defender, and he helps a lot. Um, I think Harler scores in more ways. I don't think he scores more. And I think when you look at um, streaks, McNeil's streakiness is more positive than Harler's, and Harler's can can go in the wrong direction sometimes, too. We've seen him miss bad shots in a row. Um, so I don't know. It's it's something to 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 keep an eye on. Again, how did I feel on December fourth? Is different than I felt on December eighth. So that's yeah. kind of the point of the exercise there too. I'll tell you what my favorite thing about this team is though. There's no secret. Like we we spent last basketball season going, oh my gosh, you know what's going on off the floor? Why aren't these guys playing? What's up with this guy's knee? You know, do they really hate each other? Why did they get kicked <laughs> off the team? Like there were so many things that you didn't know that were obviously plaguing this team. And when we watched the basketball, the football team in the fall, you know, why can't they run the ball? You know, um, what type of defense are they in? Just stuff that we didn't understand and we didn't know that were that was causing the team trouble. And, and you could extrapolate all different examples from football and basketball um, in the past two seasons here. But what we're watching in basketball, I really think is exactly what's happening. They're having a hard time figuring out how to play Culver and Sheepway. Um, their guard situation is messed up right now. The guys that they're really relying on to shoot and score are not shooting well and scoring. Um, they're trying to figure out how to play 12 guys where that's hard to do. It just seems like it's obvious to me. It's kind of fun to say, oh, okay, I'm, I, I can't coach this team, but I can certainly understand what's going on. I agree with you. I, uh, I, I'm interested to see the adjustments that, that the coach – Bob Hogan's makes over these next couple of games. Cause I, I do feel like you, that it seems pretty obvious the issues. So I'm curious how he's going to fix them. Cause I, a couple, like you, like you said, they, I'm not a couple of these things may not be just, Hey, snap your fingers and fix it. You got to put it out there and figure out who is that guard, who is that third and fourth guard that you got coming off the bench. And I'm not sure here's a clear cut answer. So I'm curious to see how things go over the next month. It's just so hard, too, because you get these games you should win. Austin P, Nickel State, Youngstown State, Ohio State's number three. That's going to be basically a road game. Kansas is a road game. Uh, and Oklahoma State is a road game. That's rough. So if you're not careful yeah. here, you know, you're, you're looking at like 10 and four. And then you come back. And you, yeah, you come home and you got Texas Tech. And it's uh, like Texas Tech doesn't have the same skill that it probably had going to the final four. They still play as hard as anybody from what I've seen too. So it just, it doesn't get easier. So it just feels like that, you know, the, the sand on the, on the hourglass is kind of slipping through here and that, you know, they, they have some, some time to actually figure some things out and some games that do it, but, but they really can't mess around in those games either too, because you, you have three more to come and you have a lot of practice time in between, but I just don't know where they begin. Like, do you, are you really working on high, low stuff to get Colbert and Sheepway together do you go back to bringing Culver off the bench? Because that worked really well that one game. Because um, I, I, it just spread out the minutes a little bit and you weren't congested as much of those two. There's there's pretty clear issues and those two are sharing the space together and it doesn't work quite as well. Um, 
And that does seem to be a way that you can get them both going at the same time in the same game. If they're not on the floor at the same time, then you can eventually get them together. But um, And then again, who's your third guard? Also, who's your point guard? Because McCabe, McCabe maybe had an ankle injury he was dealing with, but that's the thing that we're seeing. And we understand, like, he's not playing. That's the thing. He's doing something wrong. And I guess the, the debate there is, all right, we don't understand why he's not playing. Um, I think there's a, a pretty um, – entertaining debate to be had about whether he is or is not good <laughs> right um mm-hmm. it's kind of it's kind of like an ink blot test you know you, you see what you want to see there but he starts and he doesn't play very long even when you think he may be playing well but if he's playing well he's going to stay in therefore he's not doing something right so what is it that that's kind of a weird thing too just to watch and you figure out what's going on here um and that's stuff they really got to get figured out fast and i don't know which one you begin with or where you go but it's really upon the players and and I guess the guy who's pulling the strings to figure this out and to really make the most of these next you know two weeks. McCabe, twelve minutes, four assists, led the team in assists again. It didn't look, but didn't look good though. Looked no, like he, it, bad on defense. Had a couple turnovers, uh, including one just egregiously bad pass. Um, but is that not? You knew you were getting that when you signed up for him, right? Like, you knew that you were going to get, say, 10 assists, but at least, you know, a couple turnovers and a couple just horrendous passes that, you know, just defy fundamentals and are going to drive Bob Huggins crazy. I I think we all knew that when he was in high school, right? Yeah, and I don't know. There's It does seem teams don't mind to back the ball and drive against him or even Sherman, McNeil to some extent, Harler. um, but now we're naming all the guards that play. So is it really McCabe's fault? I mean, like it, yeah. it does seem like that Haley and, and McBride are good at staying in front of guys. And they're a little bit bigger, a little, a little bit bigger, a little bit longer. They can do that. But um, it, even with the two big guys, or even like the one big guy under the basket, teams are pretty confident they can straight line this team. <sighs> Depressing. Yeah. Didn't mean it to be. Well, let's wrap up here. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Um cast here for a second chris we've talked about um holiday travel for people time in the car kids um everybody's got bluetooth or a way to connect to the radio um podcast season and different things that we've talked about how we can fill people's commute hours or their uh nagging in-laws and family hours whatever you want to do but a way to fill a half an hour or 45 minutes and episodes we have a couple but uh i'm always intrigued by what other people want to hear or read too so hey if you're going to be driving somewhere and you want to have something entertaining to listen to if you've got a theme or an idea that you want to see us explore uh let us know comment below on the board here um, we have a few ideas i think mm-hmm. certainly you have more um and i don't really listen to this very often so <laughs> it's not for me as much as it is for you all so if you have ideas please pepper us with suggestions and we can um we can make your uh, over the river and through the woods a little bit more enjoyable, I hope. Yeah, absolutely. I totally have like a million great ideas. I just don't oh. want to share them right now. Uh, so feel free to share yours, though, and we'll be glad to talk about it. All right. We'll begin as soon as we wrap up, which is right about now. So uh, hit us with some suggestions. Pay attention uh, to what's coming up as Chris has previewed. Previously, he will have some recruiting news and information coming out. I will continue my work wrapping up football and unwrapping basketball as we um, get closer and closer to, I guess, the end and the beginning for both these teams here. So um, that is all for this time. We will see you next time. I am Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. 
We'll talk to you later.